0: Word to your name, um, I'm going to invite you to be seated in the presence of the Lord. Tonight, we are going to embark on a new study. Uh, this is our second week in the book of Shemot. Actually, we didn't even, we barely started the book of Exodus last week. Tonight's title is, and this is for January the third, two thousand nineteen. The title tonight is "How to Give Meaning to Your Pain." So, I want you to punch your neighbor and tell your neighbor we're going to bring meaning. We're going to give meaning to your pain tonight. Pain no, I'm joking. <laughs> but you know what? Your, your pain is not without purpose. And we're not speaking about physical pain, even though it could mean physical pain. For some of you, you're suffering in your bodies all the time, and nobody knows that you're suffering. At least I think a few of you that are suffering all the time. And people don't, don't understand your pain, and they can't, they can't relate to your pain, because you, you look fine, you're smiling all the time. But you know God God knows and a few of us know of the suffering that you're going through, amen, but your pain is not without purpose, and we can glorify God with our pain you know because pain, human suffering is part of the human experience and we often teach we often think well if, if we're in pain, something's wrong with us, we're not we don't have enough faith and that's not true at all. The pain is also part of the human experience, amen. And um, I, the prayer that I have for you all tonight is from Isaiah 43, one, and it, re- and it reads like this. And this is my prayer for all of you tonight. But now thus saith the Lord that created you. O Jacob, and he that formed you. O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. You art mine. So you belong to God, and God has redeemed you. He has created you. He's formed you. And He's telling you to fear not, He's redeemed you, and He has called you by your name. Because you are mine. Amen? That's the Lord's word for all of us this evening. Hallelujah. So tonight we're going to talk about giving meaning to your pain. We're in the second Torah portion of Exodus. Uh, the Hebrew name of the book of Exodus, the second, the, I should say the, the Hebrew name for the second book of the Bible is Shemot. The um, Greek name is Exodus. The, the Greek name, it means departure. You know, Exodus means to exit or to depart. The Hebrew name, the name that Moses gave the book, is the name Shemot, and Shemot means names. And we're going we're gonna to speak a lot about names tonight. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. When you have it, please say amen. We're going to read this together. Alright, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, let's, let's read now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob. Now when you read this, it doesn't seem like there's anything important being said here. You've know, you, you read about the, uh, the, the amazing rep- reparation and revealing of Joseph to his brothers. You, you've learned about Joseph and and. and, and the family and and the entire family coming to Egypt. So when you read this, it doesn't really seem like anything significant is being said here, but this verse, the first verse of chapter one, the the very first Torah portion, Shemot, is telling us, is giving us the theme of the entire book of Exodus. So often what I do is when I study the Torah, when I study the Word of God from a rabbinic perspective, I spend spend most of my study in the very first couple of verses of, of that portion of Scripture. You know, when I first began studying the Prophets, and I think two, three years ago, we did a study on the, book, on the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, and um, most of my preparation, and most of you didn't know this, I didn't tell you this, but most of my study was in the, inter- in the introductory material. I could barely get to the meat, the, the meat. What I learned was, most of the meat was in the rabbinic commentaries in the introduction sections. I don't know about you, but anytime I pick up a book, I skip, I skip the introduction, I skip the, um, um, you know, all, all, all the what, what do you call it, all, all the preface stuff. I skip it all. I, I, I get right, I get to right to the meat, and sometimes I start with the last chapter. But when I started studying rabbinic commentaries, I tried to use the same approach. But, you know, but guess what? I was missing over ninety percent of what I needed to learn. And some of the commentaries, uh, my favorite commentaries, are from the Art Scroll. And uh, when I was looking at the Art Scroll on... um, I forget which books, uh, actually probably Ruth is a great example. The introduction was probably almost as thick as the rest of the book. And there was so much meat just in, in the introduction. So tonight, I'm, we're going to spend most of our time in verse 1 because I'm going to give you the pref- I'm gonna give you a lot of material, a lot of information, and not just information, but, it, but revelation, what the Spirit of God is going to use to bring you deliverance in your own lives. So we're going to focus on verse 1 but, and, and the first several verses of chapter 1, and you're going to find that is the, the theme that's for the entire book of Exodus. Amen? So that's why, I, that's why I'm using this type of study. And even on Sunday nights when I'm doing the intro part of the service for Dr. Corral, you'll find that I, 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 I used to teach about 20-30 verses in services, now they're being trimmed down to about 2 or 3 verses. Be, because I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to focus on the, just pulling out the nuggets just out of the few verses that we read. Amen? So again, Exodus 1-1, if you'll read it with me one more time. Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt, every man and his household came with Jacob." Now, this is the beginning of the Israelite exile. This is when, as the Jews are coming into Egypt, and the sons of Jacob, and Jacob himself knew, they knew this was the beginning of the exile. An exile that was going to last for 210 years. Now. Depending on how you calculate, the number may be 400, it may be 210, it may be 200. It just depends upon what, where you start counting from. I'm not going to focus on the counts tonight. I think a couple years ago I did focus on the counting. But for tonight's teaching, it's not the, the counting is not relevant to the message I'm giving tonight. I'm not saying the counting is not important. The counting is very important. But for this teaching tonight, I'm going to focus on names and not focus on the counts tonight. So they were fully aware that God was bringing the Israelite people into a long exile. And this exile set the, set the blueprint for all the future exiles of the Jewish people. The, the first exile that was counted according to Daniel's prophecy in the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream was the first exile was the Babylonian exile. The second exile was the exile of the Medes and Persians. The third exile was led by Alexander the Great, the Greek exile. And the fourth exile was the Roman exile. And, the, and the, as I shared with, with you before, we, the Jews are still in the Roman exile. The Roman exile will not end until Messiah comes. Amen? Amen. When Messiah first came, when, when Jesus first came, he came as the suffering servant. He came to lay down his life for sin. He came to die on the cross. He came to destroy the works of the devil. That was the first coming, and that foreshadows the first half of Joseph's life. Actually, not the first half, but the first thirty so years of Joseph's life, uh, where, he, where he went through being sold into slavery, being, being mistreated by his brothers, being thrown into the King's prison, and then the second part of the, the latter part of Joseph's life represents the coming of Messiah. Because in Joseph's life, you see a parallel to the two aspects of Jesus' ministry. The first aspect is the suffering servant. The second aspect is what we're still waiting for, and that's the coming of Messiah, where he will rule over the earth as, as king. Amen? So, in this Torah portion, or actually through much of this part of this book, we, we see the horrors of enslavement of the Jewish people. We're going to learn about the brilliance of, of Pharaoh, and how Pharaoh masterminded the greatest plan to subjugate the Jewish people. And again, the, the, the second name, the Greek name of the book is Exodus. It speaks about departure. So when we, when we often study Exodus, we only focus on the departure aspect. And that's often how we live our Christian lives. We can't wait to get out of a trial, we cannot wait to get out of a, of a difficult situation, we cannot wait to exit from our pain. I love what Dr. Krause shared last week in her teaching, about we always think of the Promised Land, a place where we don't have to do anything, because it's just a, it's just a life, it's just like being in, in Hawaii on vacation, playing uh, you know, um, Hawaiian music, and, you know. Just, and that's, that's what I, will, uh, you know, whenever I heard teachings about the Promised Land, that's what I thought. That, that will be the day when my trials come to, to an end. That will be a day when I'll, where everything in life will be perfect. Well, you know what? Keep dreaming, because that's a Disneyland fantasy. Your trials will come to an end when you die. Mm-hmm. So, but wait a minute, because uh, let's let, let, let's do that. Uh, so, uh, our trial. Oh, I'm not saying you're not going to have rest, but I'm saying our life is going to be a life where we're going to be tested. And of course, there's going to be victory. There's going to be joy, but there's always tests come. Every time you're going to come into promotion mm-hmm. in God, there's going to be testing. And if you study the life of David, you study the life of Jacob, you're going to see their lives are so filled. I mean, they had great, tremendous victories. And they laid out the framework and the, and the blueprint for all, for all of humanity. But they went through tremendous suffering. Like, I cannot come, I cannot come to a pulpit and promise you your life is going to be wonderful ever after and you're not going to go through any trials. For example, you know, th- th- things in life will happen. The reason why I bring you this type of Torah is I want to equip you to be able to handle the hard things in life. Amen. Amen. Amen? And you're all... I mean, how many of you are going through a difficult time right now? How many of you are not going through a hard time right now? And I think most of us, right, we would say we're, there's situations that are difficult in life. And have you ever been through a situation that's so overwhelming, you don't, have the to, you don't feel like you have the tools, that you, you don't feel like you're equipped to handle that, that circumstance? Mm-hmm. We all do, don't we? Yes. What the Holy Spirit brings us in His Word, He equips us with the tools to be able to handle those difficult circumstances. And don't worry, sister, I'm going to open up an opportunity. I'm going to for for, for you to ask questions. Um, there's a because you know you, when you go, you know when I think about when I watch kids, especially when I think of you my little nephew. When when a child goes through a very difficult time. And, and, and they're so little and so young and so inexperienced, they don't know how to handle that trial or that difficulty or that rejection. Or the kids at school made fun of me. Or my teacher um, accused me of doing something I didn't do. And sometimes the kids will just break out into a temper tantrum, they'll scream, they'll act out in ways that don't make sense. And, it take, and, it, and they don't know how to articulate what they're going through because they don't really know what they're going through themselves. Because so, they don't have the tools to be, a, to be able to handle those difficult circumstances. So what the Word of God gives us and what we can impart to our kids and our grandkids and and folks that we influence is we can give them the tools to be able to handle the difficult circumstances. Amen? So, And that's what my desire tonight is, is to give you the tools to be able to handle the difficult things. And you are going to have times of glory. You are going to have those Hawaii moments. Mm -hmm. You you are going to have those glories. I mean, I have more joy now than I've ever had in my life. But you know what? Life is more difficult than it's ever has been as well. But you know, I would not give it up for anything. Because I thank God for, for what He's done in my life. Yes. Right now, as a few of you know, I mean, I'm going through a very. Bob and I are going through a very difficult time right now. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything because that's where the greatest growth is taking place. Amen. Amen. And and for some, and if some of you are going through my trial, it'd be no big deal. It would it'd be no big deal to you. Well, you know what? That's not your test. But there may be things that you go through that, that that can cause you to collapse that I can handle because mm-hmm. every one of us has different breaking points. Yeah. There are places that you'll break that I won't break. But you know what? That's why we need each other. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sorry to say, you're not gonna you, you you won't find the relief that you need on Facebook or on social or any social media platform. Mm-hmm. Social media has its place. Just leave it with the likes. Mm-hmm. But in, in real life, we need each other. And I encourage you all, and as all of you do, I mean, I, I know just about everybody here, and all of you, I mean, you, you know how to connect with, with people. You know how to lift each other up in prayer. And I, I encourage you all, just don't, don't forsake the assembling of the brethren. Amen? Because I'm telling you, through his word, you, you, are gonna, you, you, are, you are going to be equipped by the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, Amen. to carry you through every difficult situation. Amen? Amen. And it's, it's through the names that you will emerge victorious. God will give you a name, and in your name, God is going to give you the tools to, to, to arise. Even in the midst of cruel bondage and subjugations. So Jacob's sons are listed in verse 1 and verse 2 to stress that they, they, by keeping their Jewish names, their, their Hebrew names, they refuse total assimilation into the Egyptian culture. And by listing their names, God is emphasizing how precious His people are to Him. So one of you, if you can't just say your own name out loud, because God calls you by that same name, and you are so precious to Him. Victoria, Jim, Mama Lupe, all of you are so precious to the Lord God, and it's through He He is going to bring you through every single difficult circumstance, and He's going to bring you out of the most horrific darkness in your life. For some, it could be the loss of a husband or a wife and, I, and I, know, I, know, I know i mean i know there are widows in this room as well i mean and and only you know the horrific darkness you've been through and the horrific darkness you still go through but look at how much victory you've got, you you've gained and how much territory you've gained for God's kingdom because you remain faithful in it and you and you, you, you just submit it to God in it and it sometimes it doesn't it doesn't get easier but God equips you and enables you to be victorious even in the midst of your pain Philippians 3.14 says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that's what we're doing. We're pressing forward to the goal. Amen? And the, who, who's the prize? The prize is a person. The prize is Christ Jesus. And our desire should be to, to be conformed into, Im- into the image of Christ. That Christ image be formed in us. That our character be developed to the perfection, to the fullness of what God designs us to walk in. That means you walk in the fullness of hesed, or loving kindness. You walk in the fullness of truth, the fullness of gevorah, which is strength. The, fo- the fullness of tiferet, which is beauty or truth. We learn, to, we learn how to walk in the Amet, the truth of God. Amen? Because a person's name connotates the person's purpose in life. Your name, even within your English name, your American names, your Spanish names, whatever your ethnic origin is, even your Indian name, whatever your name is, within that name, uh, in the Hebrew language, is the destiny that God has ordained for you, even before the foundations of the, of the world were laid. Your parents may have given you a name because it sounded, it sounded cute, it sounded nice, or it may, have, it may have been the name of your grandfather or grandmother. but but they didn't know they were prophetically naming you by your destiny. Amen? Now let's look at another part of this verse here. And again, I will open up this class to a Q&A in just a little bit. So we, we talked about names for just a moment. Now, now look at the second part. We say these are the names of the... What? Children of Israel. Can we all say it together? Children <laughs> of Israel. Now, children of Israel refers to the collective name of the Jewish people as a whole. It's not just speaking about the sons of Jacob or his grandchildren. He's speaking about the entire Jewish people. And it speaks about the Jewish people for all time. And I think we can also include ourselves in that as well. The first time that we see Jewish uh, children of Israel that I can see is from Genesis 46.8. Where it says these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. Then it goes on to list uh, list of the sons. Then it says that Jacob. It says that Joseph was in Egypt already. But there's one thing very unusual about this verse here. When it says, which came into Egypt. That, that is a very unusual wording. Usually you'll read, came down into Egypt. Because whenever you leave the Holy Land and you go to another place, you're going down, because you're going to a place of lower spirituality. But here it doesn't say they went down into Egypt. It says they went into Egypt. That's significant, and that's something. that's a detail that we need to pay attention to. Because... The glory of God went into exile with the Jewish people. So because God's presence went in with them, and that's why the rabbis interpret this verse as meaning because God went with them, they were not going to a low, they were not descending to a lower state of spirituality. They were actually staying at the same level because God was with them. The Shekinah, the, the presence of God, um, went with them into Egypt. And one thing in the Hebrew, this is not in your English Bible. In your English Bible, isn't it in the first pen, in the first tense, in the past tense, that they went into Egypt? Is that what it says in your in, in your Bibles? Mm-hmm. No, came, came. Okay, so th- that 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 is a, in in the in the translation I'm, I have. It says who were coming, so that they were coming in the present tense. And and I guess your your translations are are, are accurate. The present tense is a sign of the noble character of Jacob and his sons. That means they, 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 they did not walk in there in trepidation and fear. Oh, Lord, we're going, to, we're going into exile. We're going into slavery. No, they went in with a full dignity and full awareness of what's going on. And they went in like nobility. They came in into Egypt fully aware of the harsh fate that was in store for their family. And they knew their children would be strangers in a land that was not theirs. Can you imagine God telling you to go somewhere fully knowing that you would be enslaved in that land? And yet being willing to go. That's what Jesus did. He knew fully aware that he was going to be crucified. But he, when he came to the world, fully aware of what awaited him. And it was prophesied to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13, and he said unto Abram, "Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years." Now again, there is a counting of the 400 years, but we're not going to focus on the numbers tonight. Usually, when you talk about going to Egypt is written in the sense of going down, going down to Egypt as it says in Genesis 12, 10, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt. But what's unusual in Exodus chapter 1, it says they came into Egypt. So it's, it's what, the Lord, what the rabbis are teaching us, that the glory of God, or the Shekinah presence of God, accompanied them into Egypt. Now tonight I said I'm going to teach you about giving meaning to your pain. A person's name reflects his or her potential and ultimately, the person's destiny. So in your name is your calling. You know, some of you may maybe been to services uh, with Dr. Michelle Corral, especially in services where she, she's been prophesying your names. How many of you have received prophetic words for your names at these services? And you can see how the Holy Spirit will give her parts of your name, you know, sometimes parts of your name may sound like a heap per month. Other, uh, uh, some of you have seen where parts of your name will, will sound similar to the name of somebody in scripture. Or a, s- a certain Hebrew word. And, um, and, 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 and through, through the name, you can find out more about who you are. And find out what you, who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? So, you know, I want you to really focus on names. Because that, that's really the theme of your life. In your name is your theme. And I encourage all of you, you're not going to find out the fullness of your name in, in, in one service. You're going to spend your entire life learning about who you are. Now, I'm going to uh, pull out a, script, a scripture here from... Actually, I'm sorry, it's on here. In Revelation 2.17, I was going to save this for the end, but I'll share it with you now. And it says, "He that hath, <laughs> This is Jesus speaking. He says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Can you say hidden manna? Hidden manna. See, you have to overcome. You have to go through the testing. You have to go through the trial. And then, And I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saith he that receiveth it. When I used to read that scripture, I thought, oh wow, God's going to give me a stone with my name on it. Big deal. Because I didn't know what it meant. The name connotates your destiny. I mean, how excited do you get when you find out more about who you are, and you hear Jim's uh, been called out and he's receiving a prophecy about his name, and he learns about even the letters in his name, and he's learning about what his calling is. I mean, how excited do you become when you learn? Oh, wow, God! I did not know that you had those thoughts towards me. Amen. That you see so much more potential in me than I see in myself. I, don't, I mean, I get really excited when I learn more about what God wants to do with my life. Yeah. And I get just as excited when I learn about what God wants to do with you when God calls you out by name. Because your name reveals the inherent potential that's hidden within you. And often that hidden potential does not come out until you go through the testing, the fiery afflictions of life. And for many around the world, it means, it means being martyred to the death. In America, we're very blessed that we don't, we, we don't go through that kind of testing. But we do still go through testing in life. So it's through your name that God has given you that you will emerge victorious. victorious. So that's how you give meaning to your pain because in, because in the pain God's going to reveal to you who you are in Christ Jesus. And the blueprint to your life is found in the Word of God. From Genesis through Revelation, you're going to find out who you are in God. And there is purpose in exile. You don't go through these testings for nothing. Allow God to use these testings for His purpose. Now there's sometimes we put ourselves in situations that were not God ordained. Mm-hmm. So but there but, but I ask the Lord only allow me to go through trials that are necessary for my spiritual growth. So I'm not going to go out and run around and look for, look for my own trials. I the Lord only send me what what I need. <laughs> and the Egyptians bought bondage was both a spiritual and physical exile. It, it tried every part of the people, their physical, their spiritual, their emotional, emotional, because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, came up with this brilliant strategy, strategy to subjugate the Jewish people. But the children of Israel emerged victorious through those trials. And you can overcome every trial through Christ Jesus, there is not a there is not a single trial that God will permit you to go through that He will not give you victory over. Amen. Amen. That means you can go. You can. You can be gone through the most horrific trials with with your kids or your grandkids or you know, whatever you, you know, you, the workplace, ministry, whatever it may be. But God will equip you to come out of it victorious. Yes. Now let's look at verse five. Let's read this together. Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. 1, 2, 3. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. Now, why was Joseph in Egypt already? He was sent there ahead of time to prepare the way for his family to come into Egypt. I mean, God used Joseph in such a way to, 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 to to make Egypt inhabitable by, by His family. And the numbers... You know, we, we often get hung up on numbers, and we always look at numbers and think we start counting. I don't know about you, but whenever I see a number, I start counting the number of people. And sometimes, especially in the of Scripture, you see a number and you start counting, and you don't get the same number. And the reason is, it, it's not intended for you to count the, chronolo- the, 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 the chronology. Often the number is is a representation of a concept. So the number seventy here is it, it has many meanings, but it, it it connotates the order in the universe. The number seven we see in the seven days in a week. We see sevens in the seven uh, biblical feasts. We see sevens in the seven days of Passover. We 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 see these seven in. Um, Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles Sukkot, seven-day feast, we we, we see sevens, and seven is often a symbol of completion. The Sabbath occurs on the seventh day, so the the seven is often a representation of of completion. So when we see 70 souls coming into Egypt, the 70 souls out of the loins of Jacob is speaking about the completeness of the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. And also in the world, there are 70 nations and there are 70 members of the patriarchal family. And the number 70 is also linked to the number 12, representing the 12 tribes of of Israel. So, um, And and it's interesting that Jesus had 12 12 disciples. Now, Now we're going to talk about the brilliance of Pharaoh, but what you're going to see even more so is how the, the the greater brilliance of God, who knows everything before it even begins, and already pr- prepared the remedy or the reparation or even the uh, the the the, um, the the deliverance before the attack occurred. So I'm gonna for this next several minutes, I want to talk to you about the increasing levels of affliction and the secret to the increase of God's presence in your life. There's a direct relationship. You know, um, a couple of weeks ago I shared a rabbinic quote, and I think this is from the Perkiyavot, from the Sayings of the Fathers. And the saying is, if you have not gone through a trial within the last 30 days, then you should really question your, your walk with God. Be, because you, you may not be in God's will. Now, I don't know how true that is, but what I do know is, if, 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 if in, in the world, if, if I'm in the work environment, and, I'm, and let's say I'm working for, I'm working for a, a, a boss, or a supervisor, and that boss, that supervisor, stops challenging me, or stops reaching out to me, and I'm just left alone for a long time, and, um, and, and, and th- that supervisor stops challenging me, that may mean one of two things. One is that my boss has complete confidence in me, and just uses the approach of just you know, l- letting me run one my projects, or it could mean that my boss has given up on me, and, and knows that I'm just going to stay where I am, and He's not going to try and groom me for, for, for advancement. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, the reason why I share that worldly example with you, is I want to think about something in, in, your, own, in your own life. It, 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 even people that may work for you, or you work with, when you stop working with them, do you stop working with them because they don't need your help any longer, or is it because you don't think there's a, they have no more potential? And God, who is a loving God does not give up on us. And He's going to keep challenging us, He's going to keep bringing out the hidden potential within us. He will allow trials and testings to come our way. Because he, because you know why? Because He knows that you're worth it. And He knows that there's greatness inside of you. And it's often through the fiery trials of life that you emerge stronger than before. After that affliction, you come out with a greater anointing. You have more authority. And you can be sent out to, to pray deliverance, Pray for healing, uh, to minister to people that you could never affect before. You know, if you've come out of an environment of being in, in, in prison, and, um, and, you've, and you've, you've, you've overcome that, guess what? God may send you right back in that territory to deliver other people that are in prison. Amen? So, uh, uh, allow your pain to count for God's glory. Don't waste your pain, because God will use all the pain that you've gone through. Amen? So these are the so we're going to talk about the increasing levels of affliction. Now let's talk about the children of Israel being fruitful. Let's read Exodus chapter 1 verse 7 together. 1 2 3. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them. That seems like a lot of words, doesn't it? I mean, why not just say they increased abundantly? There's a, I mean, this is, very, this is very detailed. I mean, they were fruitful. Okay, we know what that means. They had lots of kids. They increased abundantly. It's like you're saying the same thing again. And they multiplied. And they waxed exceedingly mighty. I mean, so, I mean, is that enough times? But yet Moses adds another phrase, and the land was filled with them. This is way too much detail. And that's the question you should ask, God, why did you put so much detail in this scripture here? It's not necessary. Mm-hmm. If I were writing a book, I would just say, the land was full of Israelites. But that's not what, that's not what Moses says here. They, they were fruitful, increased abundantly, multiplied, waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. Well, the Rashi, who's the most quoted rabbi in Judaism, he says their wives gave birth to six children at one time. According to the Ramban, this was a supernatural phenomenon, which I agree with. (laughs) And within 210 years, from the time they came into Egypt to this time, within 210 years, the Jewish population rose up to 2.5 2.5 million people. Wow. That includes the six hundred. That includes the six hundred thousand men between the ages of 20 and 60 that came out of Egypt. Wow. So I mean, just going from 70 souls, but if that, but if you count the women, the children, um, you're looking at, you're probably looking in the thousands, maybe a few thousand. I'm, I'm guessing, but to grow to 2.5 million people within 210 years is an absolute miracle. Mm-hmm. So God is bringing the increase. Amen? Can you all agree with that? God was bringing a supernatural increase, and what God is showing us here is that there was a miracle taking place. This was completely unnatural. God had orchestrated this, this uh, phenomenal increase of the Jewish population. Then we come to verse 8. Let's read verse 8. Now there arose of a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. A new king arose. Now there's different opinion about who this new king was. One opinion was, it was a new monarch of a new dynasty, uh, most likely was Ramses II, who didn't know Joseph, he was a completely different king, and refused to recognize the Jewish people. The second opinion was, it was the same king, but he had a change of heart, and he became, he became anti-Semitic and turned against the Jewish people. So there are, there are two opinions. What's the correct opinion? I don't know. I just give you both opinions, and I encourage you to research it if if, if you choose to do so. And this is one thing the rabbis do agree on. This is the very first instance of anti-Semitism in the entire Bible. Because this new king was was anti-Semitic. He was against the Jewish people. And you will see a lot of parallels between what... Pharaoh did and what Hitler did, uh, leading the Nazi party in Germany. They used very similar tactics. So, what's the first thing he says in, in Exodus 1 9 and 10? He says, Let us outsmart them. You know, he tells the people, the Israelites, the children of Israel, are more mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that, they, that when they faileth out any war, they join unto our enemies and fight against us. So Pharaoh uses a plan, and he gets the the Egyptian people to come into agreement with him, and they implemented their plan in stages. So if if you want to become a dictator, just follow the steps of Pharaoh, and you may become successful. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to follow the plan that God gave the Jewish people, because the more Pharaoh subjected them, the, 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 the more the Jewish people increased. So the very first thing Pharaoh did was, the first step of his plan, was that he imposed duties upon the Jews that were free, free, frequently performed by immigrants. You know, we see, the, we see the same thing in our society. In almost any country I've been to, you'll often find some some labor only performed by, 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 by the newer immigrants. So that's, that's how he began. That's how the subjugation began. And then... After that he secretly ordered the midwives to kill the male the, the newborn males. And lastly, he ordered that the Jewish males be thrown into the Nile River. He did it in stages. And he and before he did anything, he he went to his advisors. Now this is from the Midrash, this is rabbinic commentary. And I want to I want to share this opinion with you. The advisors that Pharaoh consulted with were three men. I want to ask you a question. Can you guess who these three men are? Because you know who they all are. (laughs) The answer was shocking. Job, Jethro, and Balaam. Balaam. Balaam was a descendant of Abraham. And he was the mortal enemy of the Jewish people. Even before Moses was born. And again, this is this is a rabbinic commentary, and I I, I want to share this with you. And I, I want to read. I'm going to read this to you. I'm not going to read a whole lot of commentary, but I want to read this one to you. In the hundred in the hundred and thirtieth year after the arrival of Israel into Egypt, Pharaoh had a disturbing dream in which he saw his kingdom's downfall brought about by a single lamb. He called for Balaam and the two other members of the royal council to advise him. Balaam explained that the savior of the Jews would be born shortly and would one day destroy Egypt. When he asked what steps could be taken to avoid this calamity, Balaam replied, If you wish to destroy the Jewish people by fire, you will not succeed because their God rescued Abraham from the fiery furnace. If you attempt to destroy them through slavery and hardship, you will not succeed, because Jacob was enslaved by Laban and grew prosperous from that servitude. You have one last resort, to decree that the sons of the Jews be drowned. Water is the only element of danger which their ancestors never confronted. Hmm. That was the advice that Balaam gave to, to, to Pharaoh, and, and that's what began the throwing of the Jewish babies into the, into the, into the water. And uh, Jethro fled, and Job did not say anything. That's what the rabbinic opinion is. So, th- that was the plan that, that, J- that Pharaoh used. And in verse 11 it says, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities Python, and Ramses. So what Pharaoh does here is, he attempts to wear out the Jews physically by afflicting them with an exhausting task of building cities, and that probably included the pyramids as well. So that, that was the next step. The first step was just to give them menial, you know, to give them uh, 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 labor, give them some work. And, and now the sec- the next step is to give them very cruel, hard, labor to break them down even more. But it doesn't stop there. Because the Egyptians discovered that this backbreaking labor did not have the desired results. Because even through it, the Jewish population began, it began to grow. In Exodus one twelve, I want you to read this with me. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. See, that was contrary to what Pharaoh desired. Pharaoh desired to break them down it, and wanted the population increased, uh, the population to decrease, but it kept growing at at a miraculous rate. They just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying exceedingly. So next, what does Pharaoh do? What would you do if you were the king? If you were the Pharaoh, your first two plans hadn't worked. They, of that happened as well, but but I'm going to give you but. Pharaoh and his brilliance... You know what he did? He Instead of them having, do, having them do work that, that produced a... a, a um, that brought about satisfaction, he gave them labor that would produce no satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I want you to imagine this, that this is your job. Every mm-hmm. single day, you, you clock into work. I don't know if people still clock in or not, but you, you clock into the office, and your job is that you go to this wall, you grab the shovel, and your job is, from eight, from nine to five, is that you are going you, to spend the first six hours of your day digging a hole. And that's all you do, your job is digging. Then the last two hours of your workday, you fill that hole back up. How would you feel going home? Would you feel, would you feel any satisfaction from that type of labor? No. And if your friends ask you at a party what you do for a living, what would you tell them? <laughs> How satisfying is that? See, th- that, that type of subjugation is the worst type of subjugation. Because it's a labor that does not produce any form of satisfaction. And one thing that we, the, mankind, the way God designed us, is for us to receive gratification, a satisfaction for our labor. And the type of work that you go into, you want to enter into a labor that produces fruit. Now if you've ever watched a Hallmark movie, you'll always hear the the same theme through every single movie, and that is to pursue your dream. And to pursue work that's going to bring you fulfillment. And and, and Pharaoh does the exact opposite. He inflicts labor upon the people to, to, to degrade them as a people, to make them feel like they're nothing. And that is what a cruel bond, a slave owner will do: is is, is to br- bring a person that bring their subjects into a place where they feel they have no value, and they feel have nothing. They'll feel they have nothing to contribute in society. And what I want to bring out tonight in tonight's teaching is that every one of you has value. God has given each and every one of you a name, and you have value in His kingdom. You have value in, in the church. You have value in the workplace. You have value in the family, Re- regardless of where you are uh, economically, regardless of what your physical challenges are, whether you have sight, whether you're blind, whether you're, you're constrained on a wheelchair, whatever your physical state is, you, you, your life has purpose. And God, and God calls you by name, and God has put a, a purpose in you that only you can fulfill in the earth. Amen. And the more the enemy tries to afflict you, the more Satan tries to subjugate you, guess what? God's going to cause you to increase because God's going to use that pain for his glory. Satan will not be able to attack you unless God gives Satan permission. amen And God will not give permission unless God knows that potential there's potential in you that needs to come out. Remember when God when God allows job to be tested by Satan, Satan had to ask God for permission first. And then God put parameters around that testing that Satan was not allowed to take away Job's life. So God will not allow any affliction to come into your life that you are not ready to face. He will equip you before the attack. And the enemy is going to come in by... You know he's going to come in by steps. He will try step one. Okay, step one fails. Then you go to step two. It's going to be a little more difficult. Step three is going to be like even more, more rigorous. But you know what? Through every single stage, you are going to increase, you're going to become fruitful, you're going to multiply, and, you're going to, and you, you are going to cut off the head of Pharaoh. You are going to come yeah. out victorious. Amen? Yes. Because they, they became common laborers. They were subjected to, crush, uh, to cr- crushing harshness. They were beaten, poorly fed, treated like common slaves. But guess what happened? Their numbers in- continued to increase in a, in a miraculous manner. The Ramban says that the work, the work they were given was work that was useless and tedious. And again, that's a, 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 the analogy I use is coming to clocking every day and digging a hole and filling the hole right back up again. It, it, it's a labor that produces no profit whatsoever. You know, I can think about the jobs I had in, in, in my career in, in, in the world. And I'm telling you, that there are jobs that I've had where I was absolutely miserable. And if I can, um, I think my first, I can say this now because this company is no longer in business or was bought by somebody else. But my first job, it was a summer job right, right before starting my first quarter in college. I worked at Security Pacific Bank in Brea. And I wa- I worked in the ready pack units. Do you remember that? Yeah, I worked in. Did you? I, I thought I saw. It. Uh, this one was in Embraer. Oh, <laughs> you. <Yeah>. So. <laughs> we were so, I, I got to work. I think I worked. I forget what hours I worked, but um, but my job was to basically. You know what? I don't. They don't do. They don't do this anymore. But um. When I used to, when you used to go to a bank and you sign up for a new, uh, your bank accounts, you'd be given this packet with with with, with these uh, uh, check checkbooks and brochures and all that stuff. My job was to put the contents inside of the plastic and to shrink wrap it. That was my. That's what I did eight hours a day. It was. I was a packer. I was I was I mean I was really good I was really getting that ready pack unit. <laughs> it was the most miserable summer of my entire life. No, my Egypt. Yeah, exactly. I was my Egypt and I was like, I mean, I go, this is this is what people do for this is what this is a, this is my first real job. <laughs> That's what I called it. But I, I was I was so I was so miserable. And you know, it's like I wasn't challenged at all. I am a person that needs to be challenged mentally mentally. And this, this is, this is just like I could do this in my sleep. And it was, I mean, it was the most, the, the the most miserable place I've worked in my life. But you know what? That that was my that was a type of my, a type of Egypt for me. So, and even through you know, and through school and through jobs and whatever, there have been times where I've been extremely challenged and had tremendous growth in my career. Other times, I was in a place where I just felt like, I literally felt like my job was to dig a hole and fill it back up again. Because it was it wasn't it wasn't challenging, and when you get to that place where you're not being challenged, because without the challenges you're not going to grow. You know you think preaching day in, you know um, several you know a few times a week, you get you get to a place where it becomes boring. I'm telling you, pre, uh, preparing for a service is probably the most difficult thing I do in my life. It is so challenging, and I love it. And I thought, well, I'm going to write a book, thinking that was going to be easy. That's the hardest thing I've done. I thought book, I thought book, one, I thought book one was really, really hard. It took me about two, over a year and a half to put that put that together. Then I got to, and I thought, okay, it's going to be easy from now on. Book two was even harder to put together. Oh my gosh. Well, guess what? Book three has was sitting on the shelf for about six months. I picked it back up again a few days ago, and I'm really struggling with it. But you know what? I enjoy the challenge because that's where I'm learning. I'm learning the most. And then, so the, the, the first book, can, this is all available on Amazon. I don't, I don't have copies. I haven't ordered any more copies. But if you go to Amazon, you search for my name. And you, uh, the first book is called um, The Final Countdown, which just takes you to the book of Genesis and talks about you finding your purpose in, in, in the tapestry of God's creation. The second book is Earth, Wind, Fire, and still a Small Voice. And that book is about learning how to hear the voice of God. The third book, which I think I'm going to call Man in the Mirror, is is, is about finding yourself and, and how to live, how to go through the sufferings of life and the testings and the rejection of life and how to come out victorious through those testings. And, and, and using David as the blueprint. So the main title was, will probably be Man in the Mirror. And now the fourth book, and I, I think it's all her bits and Annie's fault, because we were talking about the etiquette of the kingdom, mm-hmm. well, guess and, and, and the, the royals, and the teacups, and the, how you stir the tea in, in the presence of a king, queen, that will probably be book number three. I mean, number book number four. But, but I'm telling you, I love the challenge. And even the job I'm going to be coming into in the workplace, I love the challenge. It, it, it's a place where I feel like, wow, I'm going to be in a place where I'm going to experience tremendous fulfillment. Because you need to be in a place... You spend most of your life in the workplace, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You want to experience fulfillment. Mm-hmm. You want to see that you're being used to your full potential. And the worst place to be... And if you're, if you're in a place where you don't feel like you've been utilized properly, th- then I encourage you to accept this as a test. And this test is not forever, but God's mm-hmm. going to use that and allow Him to use that pain for His glory, and God's going to promote you to a place where you, you are going to experience that fulfillment. Amen? Amen? Because don't think that experiencing fulfillment in work is a hallmark experience only. It should be part of your life. Yes. And it's not always chasing the money. Could be, because you could be making the biggest paychecks in the, uh, in the, in, 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 on the block, and you could be living a miserable life. So it's not just the money, it's, it's, I mean, what is the passion that God has put in you for you to pursue? Amen? You know, I had no desire when I was in college that I, I, went, I went to Cal Poly as a physics major. My desire was to launch the next Star Trek aircraft, or spacecraft. <laughs> and of course, nothing. But I had no idea that God was moving me into a place where I would move into the field of computer networking. I had it was just like God was orchestrating it, and I was fighting it every single step of the way. Now, how many of you get? How many of you get excited when you get like a, You get your smartphone, you play with your Facebook, your Instagram. It, I mean, you, you love playing with apps, applications on your phone or your computers. What do you say? Most of you get some excitement in that, or for, or, or for some of you it might be playing uh, games. See, that's not where I get my excitement. I get my excitement in ma- in making sure that the information gets from. Point A to Point B, so mm. I could care less about the email. I just want to. I I'd rather just talk about the SMT protocol and how these and, and and how all this all this information is digitized and sent across packets and sent across the wire and then it's sent from routers to switches and through uh, and and how it gets from Point A to Point B. That's completely boring to you, but it's yeah. very exciting to me. Mm-hmm. See, my passion is different than your passion. And when I used to talk to my coworkers, people in my field, I go, what do you tell people uh, when they ask you what do you do? And, uh, cause, and they were all stumped, like I was. Because I can't explain what I, my profession in a way that would excite you. you. know, If I say I'm a doctor, or a professor, or uh, if, if I'm a plumber, you know, whatever profession I'm in, electrician, you electrician, know, it's, it's something you can talk about. But if you ask me what I do for a living, I just help get packets from point A to point B. I mean, you know, what's the excitement of that? And how can I explain to you there's so much involved in making that communication happen? You know, for example, today, you want to get on a wireless network, you just t- pick up your smartphone, you go to settings, and you go to your Wi-Fi settings. And you're, and you're, 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 you're connect to the Wi-Fi network, and you're on the Internet. Well, guess what? It's a lot more complicated than that. And when Wi-Fi technology was new, it would literally take me hours to get a single device on, on, on a wireless network. It was so complicated, and now you can do it within seconds. Because that's how quickly technology is transforming our lives. Where my, my little nephew, since he was a baby, was able to FaceTime with us, and for him, FaceTime is natural. There's no concept to him of picking up the phone and, and talking to someone with audio communication only. See, the culture is changing. And we're all becoming so connected. I watch Mama Lupe every single Sunday evening on her smartphone uh, um, uh, doing things with the ministry. I mean, it's, just, it, it's awesome to watch mm-hmm. how every single one of you is using technology. Mm-hmm. And when I see uh, um, Robinson Carol um, sending her text messages out with the invites for the, for the service, I mean, it's mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant to see what she's doing. Uh, to, see, to see how... Because uh, technology is, in, it is affecting everybody. Amen? Mm-hmm. But there's a danger in this. We think we're becoming more and more connected. But you know what the danger is? We're becoming more and more connected electronically, but we're becoming more and more disconnected. Yes, that's true. In every yeah, single way. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty sad that when I get gratification, when I get one more like on my Torah post. Yeah. It's really sad that that excites me. Because it's nothing. What is a like? It's, it's, it, it, but we're putting emphasis on the wrong things. We need to get back to building relationships. Yes. Now, the automation is going to continue. We can't stop it. Automation is a good thing if we use it in the right way. But we need to keep using our minds. We need to keep challenging ourselves. Because the, the more you give into this culture of automation, and the, the more you give in to, to, to the, the fair, I don't know if as is, is a word, but you give into a culture where you no longer think for yourself and you give into that. Cruel bondage. You will no longer experience fulfillment in life. It's not a surprise to me that at uh, the rate at which suicide is growing among young people, it does not surprise me at all. And 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 just the lack of communication, the lack. I mean, it's just like you I mean saying hello now is like uh, is, is like a no. It's like something you shouldn't do. Because it's, it's 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 becoming horrible. You, you um, I went to El Puey Loco a couple of weeks ago, and I had the choice of going to the counter or going to the uh, to the kiosk where I could order without talking to a human. Mm. So, and, and I mean, imagine a day coming where there's you're not interacting with a person. When I was in India um, last year, because I, I used to have a team in, in in India, and I got to see the automation area of the, of this of this company. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the name of the company. But I was, I, was, uh, I was with this company and I got to see the, the, the innovation center and in there they were showing me some of the things they, they had invented and one of the things that they had was, was a unit that had wheels that moved around and it had a camera on it and, and, and it, had a, it, has, it, it, it actually had a speaker and what happened is it was remotely controlled. And, it could, and the person that was, whoever, could be anywhere else in the world, was operating that unit, would, would talk to me and answer my questions, could even follow me around. Do you see where that technology is going? So Im- imagine going into a gas station, and you need to go see a cashier, where the, where the cashier is this machine that's remotely controlled by somebody else halfway around the world. And you ask your questions. And they, may, they probably have mechanical arms where they can get products off, off the shelf. But, and, and so and then you can use this technology to replace higher-cost American labor with lower-cost labor in other countries. So you can see, you can see and, and eventually, you no longer need that, pers- that human being halfway around the world. Now you can have it where it's completely automated, where that computer is, is doing everything you need. So it, it's kind of it's scary where we're going. I, I didn't mean to go here tonight. But what I want you to see here is that every time you, 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 um, you give... Cause Pharaoh is not just a physical person, it, it could be just a, a mindset. Mm-hmm. And little by little, you've you taken more and more conveniences and you start giving up your, your rights as a person to where you no longer have those rights. Yeah. And Pharaoh, what he did with the Jewish people is by little by little. First, he gives them labor that was just uh, that was only performed by outsiders. Then he gives, then he makes it a, a little worse. The subjugation is a little worse. Well, now we're going to give you heartbreak, uh, a heartbreaking labor, a backbreaking labor, I should say. And that doesn't work. Well, guess what? Now we'll give you meaningless labor, and that's even worse. Because when you get to a place where you're no longer being challenged. You, where you and you get to a place where your life is you feel like it 's completely meaningless, that is the worst place Pharaoh can bring you into, and that 's right where you enter into in, in, into a slave like mentality and the same thing operates in in child abuse from what i have learned and um because uh, uh, many kids that are child uh, that are abused by their abusers never tell their parents that they 've been abused mm-hmm. they they feel too shamed. Um, and, and, and that abuser uses tactics that makes that child afraid to tell anybody so it 's very important that we educate our kids early on in things that you don 't want to talk to your kids about but it 's very important that you take steps to protect your children from i mean there 's no way to protect your kids one hundred percent because you can 't put your child in a cave and protect them from everything but, but, but you, you do need to take steps to to prevent as much as you can amen, amen. and, and um, but the abusers use tactics that bring the children under subjugations to where they're afraid to tell anybody they've been abused. And it's, it's, just, it's extremely... It's, it's just it's so horrifying to see what takes place. Now we get to... But, but again, don't give up hope, because no matter what you go through, God will... God can b- repair anything. Amen? Yes. God, God, God God heals. And sometimes we, 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 we blame God. God, why did you let this happen? That's the million dollar question. God, why did you let this happen? You know what? Don't even bother asking that question. It's a waste of your breath. It happened. But God, and, and allow God to bring the healing. Allow God to bring reparation. Whether you've been through a, a heartbreaking divorce, um, maybe a child that's been, your child's been kidnapped. You know, it's, I mean, sometimes what you go through in life is just heartbreaking extremely heartbreaking. But all I encourage you to do, I want you to follow the blueprint laid out on the Word and allow God to carry you through those painful circumstances. should um, before I, um, I share the next part, I want to share verse 13 and 14. So, it says here, the children served with rigor. And then verse 14, read the first part with me up to the word Bitter. One, two, three. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. That word bitter sounds like somebody else's name. What was the name of Moses' sister? Miriam. Miriam. And what does Miriam mean? Bitter. Bitter. This was the time that Miriam was born. Seriously, is, is that amazing? So right in the midst of the fire, right when you're about to give up hope, there's a ray of light and Miriam is born. Without Miriam, they would never, Moses would never have been born. And the bondage Pharaoh brought the Jews under was a bondage that crushes and shatters the body. It was a labor that was useless and tedious. It, it was a labor that produced no sense of accomplishment. And that was the very time Miriam was born. Her name is derived from the Hebrew word for bitter. And next, he orders the, the, the midwives later on to, 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 um, to, to kill the newborns. You, you, you see how it's gone through step by step and the subjugation is increasing. You know, I, did, I, didn't do, I didn't do as much research as I wanted to do, but I, I want to go back and do a deeper study on how Hitler orchestrated the enslavement of the Jewish people. It was step by step. It was a systematic process. He knew exactly what he was doing. First step was to bring, all the, uh, to bring the people into agreement with him. And, and, and to build the, uh, the anti-Semitism. And, and and then step by step to move the Jews into concentration camps, and it was just, it was all systematically orchestrated. It was the, the cruelest thing, but, and, and and that's what that's what took place. And be very careful with anti-Semitism or any anti race of 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 any kind, because I've seen it I've seen it in every place I've lived in. I, I've seen some type of um of anti whatever. And be, 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 be very careful because it, it, it's contagious. It's very, very, very contagious. But uh, the secret to the increase of the glory in your life is the more the enemy afflicts you, the divine blessings will increase in direct proportion. It's a direct relationship. The enemy afflicts you in this way, well, guess what? God's going to come against it even stronger. So. Pharaoh was trying to decrease the population growth of the Jewish people initially. Well, the more he subjected them, guess what? The more they multiplied, the more they increased, and they increased abundantly. Do you see? All I've been talking about is verse 1. was just the increase, and this is the part I always ignore. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 5, I believe. It's like they kept increasing because it was a miraculous increase. Now, I'm just about ready to close here. I'm going to go through this part very quickly, and um, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 5, it says that, if you want to read this with me, please read it with me. Um, and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the art among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. You know, why is Scripture telling us that a woman went to the river to bathe? Again, that, I mean, that's a question. And it's a good question. It, why is this recorded in the Bible? Everybody bathes, so why is this bathing actually brought out? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly give you the answer. the The daughter of Pharaoh, the princess of Egypt, her name is batia Can you say batia Batya. It almost sounds like an Indian name. And she went down to the Nile River to bathe. She wasn't going to the Nile River to bathe in public. What she was doing, she actually was converting to the Jewish faith. And, and, and what was taking place was she was, the bathing was representing, it was almost like a baptism, where she was washing her away from all the filth of Egypt, and she actually became a convert to the faith. She had rejected the wicked ways of, of her wicked father, the Pharaoh. And she was, she was repenting. And you know what? Then, then she then she hears this babe weeping, that's in a, that's in a um, a basket, and it's really a type of ark, comparable to the ark of Noah's ark, because as Noah was used as a deliverer of mankind in Noah's flood, Moses was in an ark, and he was like a second Noah, I could say. He's in the ark who's gonna, God's going to use to bring a deliverance to the Jewish people. And Batia, Completely went against Pharaoh's decree and saved the baby. Because, you know, Sephorno asked the question, who's another uh, rabbi, how did a royal princess stoop to bathe in public? There's no way a royal is going to bathe in public for people to see. There's, there's no way that would ever happen. So you need to ask a question what was really taking place here? She went down to wash herself from the idolatry of Egypt. She was was completely repenting and she was converting. I mean, she saw her father like a demon and and he he literally was a demon. Just by by the way he acted. And do you know what day this took place of her conversion? Because remember, dates on the Hebrew calendar are important. It was on the sixth day of Sivan. Sister Margaret, what happened on the sixth day of Sivan? Exactly. <laughs> the very day in which God gave the, God spoke from Mount Sinai was the sixth day of Sivan, The day of Shavuot or the day of Pentecost. Don't worry, I'm the easiest test giver in the world, but I'll give you the answers <laughs> right away. So that was, ba- and so Batya, and then it says that she sent her handmaidens to fetch the basket. Can I give you another opinion? Mm -hmm. The word maidservant in Hebrew is the word amata. Amata Amata has been translated as maid, but it also can mean her arm, or arm lengths. So what the rabbis teach here is, when she burned with compassion, Over that child that was weeping in that ark, in that basket, that was covered with pitch inside and out. And she she was stirred, the emotion of compassion stirred up within her. She stretched her arm to reach for that child, and her arm extended multiple arm lengths. That was another miracle that that took place. And and she, she reached a basket and saved Moses. and she called his name Moses. Moses was given many names, but the only name we remember him by is the name Moses, because God honored Batia for her selfless act of saving Moses. The word Moses, we often say that Moses, in Hebrew is, the name is in Hebrew is Moshe, but I've heard it debated whether Moshe is a, is a Hebrew word or not. They'll say it's an Egyptian word because Batia named him Moshe. So my opinion is that Moshe is not a, is not a Hebrew word, it's, it's originally an Egyptian word that became, in, 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 it became part of the Hebrew language. And then as I, my final conclusion, I'm going to talk to you about Moses' role as a royal. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went to his brethren and looked at, on their burdens And he spied an Egyptian, smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. See, Moshe's name in English means to draw out, because he was drawn out of the water. And and so what his mission, his destiny in life was, was to draw the Jewish people out of that cruel bondage in Egypt. Because his name, Moshe, means to draw out. Because in his name is his potential, what his calling is in God. His calling is in Hashem. And Hashem, the Lord, was calling him to be the deliverer of the Jewish people. And, the, and he was the one that God had ordained to bring the Torah to the entire world. And one thing, Moses passed a tremendous test here. Because Moses didn't have to do this. Moses was in charge of the king's palace. But he was grown. That means he would matured in stature. He had matured in character. He had matured in as a royal, and he went to his brethren and he looked on their burdens. That means he was concerned about his brethren. He was concerned about how they were being treated. And that's when he went and spied out an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew. And the next day he spied out a Hebrew smiting a Hebrew. See, he was connected with the burdens of his people. And in in order to experience elevation in life, you must learn the way Of Moses and that is to be is to connect with the pain of other people if your brother is suffering in a situation your sister is suffering whether in health whether in employment whatever it may be in a family situation or financial that you you, you don't overlook the the burdens of of your brethren but that you connect with them you know the worst thing you can say to a person is get over it that is the worst thing you can say it's at the absolute worst. That, and that is the most inconsiderate thing you could ever say to anybody. Just get over it. Or it's no big deal. You know, um, I was sharing with Bob now while back about... Uh, and I learned this, in, I think, in, 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 a, in a college psychology class. And this, this professor was talking about uh, how people cope with grief. And with, 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 with some people... After they lose a spouse through a death, um, they recover very quickly and, and remarry very quickly. And some folks, after their spouse passes away, they're, they're remarried within a few months. And you think, what was wrong? Did, did, did they not love their spouse at all? What's the deal here? You know, we can't judge people that way because they're wired, they, they cope with grief in different ways. And they're able to bounce back very quickly. Other people that, that have lost their spouse will take years to recover. And, and will most likely never nev- nev- never remarry. And and in, in, a, in a situation where I've seen with my um, with one of my one set grandparents, after one spouse died, the other one died within a year B- because they were so they were so knit together that, that that one passed shortly after the other one. So every one of us is different. So the worst thing you can say to somebody is just get over it is the most inconsiderate thing to do because what the Torah teaches us to do is to identify with each other's suffering. Now I am not teaching you how to handle 200, 210 years of cruel labor. But what I am teaching you tonight is how to show compassion for one another. And I, and. and whether it's in the church, whether in the workplace, or just in your neighborhood, is to really learn how to demonstrate love for one another and to be truly concerned about one another. You, you know, um, I mean, we, we've heard some of the... and uh, I'm not speaking about anybody here, and I'm not speaking about anybody that any of you would know. But we've gone through circumstances over the last few years where, where, which have been so painful, painful for us, have been so difficult to deal with, and we have no answer on why it's happening and we have no idea when it's going to end. And then to have people just say, oh, just get over it, or just get a, or "just do this or do that, and with no compassion whatsoever. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I opened up to the wrong person. And so be very careful who you open up to as well, because you can't, I mean, I mean as much as you want your life to you be an open book, or an open Facebook as it is for many people, <laughs> um, it's like, I don't you know, it's like, so I had this for breakfast, and I, you know, whatever. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, you, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. You, you, you have to be very careful in who you bring into your inner circle. Yes. Because uh, some people haven't, don't have the maturity to, to be able to understand what you're going through. Because we're all at different levels in our maturity as well, whether physical, emotionally, spiritually. amen. amen. And, and God sees that. God sees that, but I encourage all of you is to, to, to the more you move in the gift of compassion, just like Batia here moved with her compassion and Moses her son, who was like a stepson to her, raised him with compassion, is really allow compassion to be one of your key, the key things that you drive toward. Is to really give each other the benefit of the doubt, to love one another. You know, I've seen places where uh, um, I was—I was, I think I shared the story already. I was in a parking lot at um, at Trader Joe's. I was just putting the groceries in the car, and and there's there's a, a homeless lady in the parking lot. You know, just here in Orange, and um, she walks up to the guy in the car next to mine, and she she asks for some money, and he looks at her with such judgment. So judgmental and says, "Why don't you just go get a job?" And I thought, I mean, the, I mean, you, I go, you don't know this lady's story, you don't know what she's been through, you you have no idea, and I, I and it's like, and the, I mean, I won't tell you what I did because I don't want to lose my reward, but um, which doesn't really, wasn't really much of anything, it was just very little, but we can't judge people. Through our own lenses, we need to judge people through the lenses of compassion. We don't know what others have been through. That's right. I see more homeless people here in the city of Orange. Mm-hmm. Actually, we're in Anaheim here, but the Anaheim Orange areas. I, I I see. I've lived here since I was a kid. I see more homeless people here today than I've had in my That's my right. entire life. Mm-hmm. And, and the question we should ask is, what is what is really going on here? You know, what 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 is it, it's it's. You can't just say, just go get a job, I mean, that's, that's the cruelest thing you can say. I mean, any one of us could lose our health, lose our job, um, uh, lose our health, and we could be homeless with, within, within months. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just the reality of living in, in, in America. Because we don't, we don't have a system like other countries where the government will take care of you, to, to that extent. So what I want, the takeaway for tonight's service is that you, that you really learn through, to see each other with compassion. I mean, I can just imagine what Sister Ravits and Annie goes through in her, in her job as a teacher. I mean, I cannot imagine, she has to be connected with the needs of every one of the children that she, that she teaches. Mm-hmm. And every one of them has a different background. Every one of them has different struggles. One of them may be grown up in household with, 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 with a household with, with just a single mom. Another woman who grew up in a home where the child is, is, is not where the, the where they're not provided even basic needs, but she has to learn how to handle every one of these children on on a daily basis, and I'm telling you, I, I mean that's I mean I cannot imagine how difficult that, that is, but allow the Torah to give you the tools, the Word of God to give you the tools to be able to handle those situations. And, and to handle difficult parents. To handle difficult circumstances. In the workplace, to handle difficult colleagues. Because God, God will give you the tools. The tools are right here in the Word of God. And the, and the more the enemy subjugates you, the more you're going to proliferate. Amen? The more yes. you're going to increase. And God is going to give you the victory. And guess what? With every victory, God's going to give you more responsibility. Amen? Amen? Yes. He's going to give you more responsibility. I'm invite you all just to stand with me and let's just worship the Lord. And we're going to, Lord, tonight, I just thank you, Lord God, for your holding tonight. I thank you, Lord God. And Lord, I just ask you to bless everyone that's watching us on, 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 online right now, Lord God, that your anointing will just will overflow, Lord God. I pray for healings, I pray for deliverance, Lord God. Lord, I just pray, Father God, that through every difficult situation, Lord God, that your people are going through right now, Lord God, that you will bring healing. That you'll bring reparation and relationships, Lord God. That you'll bring healing and marriage, Lord God. That, Lord, you'll do a tremendous work here. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen.